Hello, my name is Peter Cinnamon and you're very welcome to Kicking Match. We are, at least for now, still a weekly podcast. The season's over, but all the drama and the news is yet to slow itself down. So sit back, relax as we go into some of the transfer news, manager departures to that little thing known as the European playoff. All the fallout from those things we're going to cover. We're kind of like the goujons and the burgers and everything else handed out during the entertainment at a wedding. Yes, it's not exactly the main event, but dip it in some spicy sauce, maybe a bit of transfer news mail and it might be the best thing you've tried all year so sit back relax as i think this is going to be a bit good it's the middle of may and somehow i'm still here there's somehow still a microphone in front of me there is people staring at me with big smiley faces on the screen i would say the sun is shining but it is not just when i thought it was over i get pulled back in but it's all because twitter and other places are a flurry, so I thought I'd give you some sort of audio accompaniment, a little audio pullout to help decompress, to help unpack what's been going down. And I have brought friends. I've got two of them. They are Ross Welsh. Evening, Peter. They are Joe McCallion. Ahoy. And together, they are the Around the Grounds NI boys. Right, let's get down to it. It's pretty much all decided when it comes to the Irish League 2022-23. Yes, I know there's that warm point thing and it's probably going to be announced while we record this, but we're just going to set that to the side because what we have decided is that we've got our four teams that are heading on to Europe. Yes, Glentoran have done it. They ran the gambit. Finally a team, I think, who finished third, did it. They win out, they take care of business against the Glenavon team who thought a little Fitzpatrick miracle may pop up. Not this time. And then it was the junior show. As Glentoran slayed the Reds, they took care of Cliftonville. There was a chance they were going to rise up and put a cherry on this season that had a big dip. Nah, nah, nah. This continued the ascension on for Glentoran as it was the junior show. Joe. How did you feel going into this? Did you feel as though what happened was somewhat inevitable? Or were you downtrodden post-Penenka, knowing that there'll be no fun European trips for Cliftonville next season? The lead-up to that game, I mean, the split wasn't probably the best for us. It did feel a wee bit off. And then that first playoff game against Korean, it was actually quite good. The first 60 minutes, I actually thought we looked really, really good. It looked like hang on a second here, maybe we'll go through these playoffs as a bit of a new team and see if the season a wee tiny bit. But then Cliftonville just never turned up at all. Ross, Glentoran finish off this up and down season on a high. How much of that squad will be there to enjoy their inevitable trip to Latvia, Faroe Islands, maybe Lithuania if they're lucky. It all depends. But after years being outside the tent when it comes to Europe, Glentoran meet expectations if we're being honest they've got a charter flight to somewhere fun I guess but the big thing that's going to be coming their way is a big check they did it the hard way but they did it and now they can enjoy the summer believing that this is a podium to build off yeah for sure they, they were under a bit of financial pressure I remember a few years ago there was talk if Crusaders don't get Europe you know Will they be able to continue their full-time model? Saw a few whispers of that at Glen Torn. Maybe not ditching the full-time, but certainly they'd lose a few of their bigger names. And 
at the end it was very easy for them, 7-0 across the two games. Never really got out of second gear against Glenavon and then certainly didn't need to against Cliftonville. Once uh, it went 2-0, the, the coast of the rest of the way, I don't really remember Cliftonville having much of a chance to shout about. And to be honest, in the second half, I don't really remember many Glen Torn chances. They, they didn't need it. Talking about the red card, how do we feel about that? If you're sitting there slow-moing it down, you can see two feet. This is, of course, the Donal Rocks red card after mere seconds on the pitch. Once he was off, it ended it as a contest completely. It was frolics in the sunshine for Glentorn. At that point, they had done their job. Harsh, do you feel? No, I think it was a, a pretty fair enough red card. I, I think he's just... Rox has come on into the heat of battle and he's trying to make an impression, maybe not happy he hasn't started and he's just launched in the attack like he's got it wrong. I think you can see from the reaction that Glenn Torn bench is just in front of them and they're, they're not happy at all. And I also think Gormley was lucky to stay on the pitch a bit earlier in the game. I think that was a rotten tackle, proper centre-forwards tackle. We, we could have been seeing Cliftonville with nine men at one point. And he was having a few... Barges at McCary as well. I think McCary eventually enjoyed it when he was going for it again. He's like, don't really care, mate. It's all over. We're we're having a good time here. Let's talk about Roddy McCarrie. Last week on the Big Review podcast, which you haven't listened to, we tied a little bow on how we felt pretty much every team season went. And obviously the big moment for Glentor in this season was the change in manager. There was that big uplift then somewhat of a fall. This seems like it's raised to a crescendo finish. They have got a team packed full of really quality Irish League players. But give the Roddy McAree, he's steadied the ship and he's got a main aim of this club down. Yeah, he's actually done very... I think he's probably done a lot better than a lot of people expected. I mean, expectations on Glenthorne were very low uh, when he came in. I mean, they went from looking like one of the best Irish League teams at the start of the season, they're potentially one of the worst. And then they went and they were by far the best team in the split, winning all their games. Then, as Ross said, seven goals across the two playoff games. It, 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 as you say, you had the quality there, but it certainly wouldn't have been easy to settle that squad down and get things back on track. It's a bit of a Mario Kart situation for me. They fell back after getting blue-shelled. They pretty much blue-shelled themselves in October and then from there they fell back and then they started picking up a few shells, a few banana skins every once in a while. But just at the last minute, they scooted past everybody else and got third. Looking back at that table, I don't really feel as though Lauren, Limfield, Glenthorne really tells the tale of what we saw week to week in the season. I know the table doesn't lie, but there's definitely lipstick on it. Definitely. I mean... If you want to, like, if you threw a dart at the map of the Irish League season this year, the odds are you're landing on a decent Glentorn performance. Like, the vast majority of the season, they were fine. I remember at the start of the season, I was very worried. I thought the Gibson would be going back to East Belfast. But luckily, as you said, the wheels fell off. And I think Ronnie McGarry's brief would have been steady this ship and will maybe go again next year because they were an absolute free fall towards the end under McDermott. And he sorted it out. And I think they'll maybe be looking at. Uh, Europe as a bonus this year the way the situation was looking at one point this is the first proper post season podcast how many there is we do not know but with no games to really get into beyond that there is transfers to pick our way through as well as some rumors and before we get into 
Cliftonville. Let's keep our eye on Glen Torren. There is not any official hellos, but there is starting to be a few goodbyes. First one uh, being that they have officially said that Hervoy Plum, he's gone up and down Glen Torren career. The highs were pretty high. The lows were probably somewhat forgettable, but was a very strong force during a time of, of change with Glen Torren. From there, we're now looking at Terry Devlin. Was that the last time he played at the Oval? Conrad Meneman seems pretty much confirmed until we see it that it's very unlikely he'll play for Glentorn again. Questions over their captain, Marcus Kane. And of course, the big spotlight is on Bobby Burns. That is someone who was such a big player for them at times and a two-year deal would be pretty nice right now yeah definitely i've seen a bit of talk in the week that um he was maybe going to windsor but yeah the recent news is the two-year deal is maybe being confirmed soon so that's huge to get him back on board and huge that he's not going to what will probably be a title rival next year as well and i think he won their player of the year this year and every time i've seen him i haven't watched a lot of glentorn but anytime they've played the blues he's uh He's had our number, that's for sure. So good to keep a hold of him. He's quite a dynamic player. He has the ability to play as far deep as wing back, but we've all seen the spectacular, the goals. Perhaps passing is an area where you think that's if he can unlock that a bit more and become a big playmaker, like we we see potentially the likes of of Miller and 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 the Hills and others. Then that's the next level where. Like, you wouldn't be surprised if we're sitting here 12 months from now and Bobby Burns is sitting here with Ulster Player of the Year in his arms. You know, he he has the chance, injury-free, in a team that's cooking on gas, he can easily be the star of this team. Yeah, he feels like a player that almost every team, that they want that type of player. You know, as you say, he's versatile. And if he was the type of person they had a bit more creativity and pass and flair into his game, you know, to become a catalyst that sort of, drive a team on is exactly what you would sort of want you know so it's it's bound to be a, a main aim for Glen Thorne to try to hold on to and of course we talked about last week how Balamina captain Josh Kelly looks set to be slotting into that midfield once you get Europe you feel as though this is great there can be a chance to reinvest in the squad with Glen Thorne you kind of look at it and go the investment is there now McGinn is an investment and yes, we're talking about players who are likely to set the leave. You can also add Whiteman as not an absolute leader in that squad, but someone who looked to be a key part of the future. If he also moves on, then a team that found its rhythm is once again looking at a lot of tweaks. And that's not including the amount of players who you're probably looking at the Donnellys where you're thinking... Are they going to come back into the squad next season? Is this summer now going to be the time where they're like, didn't really enjoy being on the bench, guys. Now that Rodney's had his chance to settle in, are they having conversations about, well, it's going to be more of the same? As much as we can talk about pretty much every team having a lot of changes this summer, Glentorin doesn't look as though it's going to keep a lot of it. I feel as though there could be a lot of names coming in or it's pretty much the same squad that we have, but just reduced with one or two names in particular areas i just don't know what kind of summer we're going to see from the Belfast side this year i think the fact they've secured europe reduces the tinkering that would have went on a little bit i think if they don't get europe then 
the board have to give Macquarie a lot more license to put his stamp on the team. I think that's been stopped by the fact they've got Europe. I think your point about the Donnelly brothers is is good. Rory's sort of been on the periphery of things for a while now. Jay didn't have the best season, still scored a few good goals, obviously. But um, yeah, that's how you know you have to sort of follow the Lauren blueprint. They looked all right last season, but then they made the big call, get rid of David McDade, a few other players. You have to keep progressing if you want to challenge at the top end of this league now, especially with the money that's getting involved. Well, one team he's not going to have that little parachute of European money is obviously Cliftonville. Lots of talk now because it feels like this is going to be a time of upheaval. We still don't know who the manager is. It isn't clear, bar hearsay online and in the press it's clear to me that this is a team that needs more than tinkering and when you fade your season fades out like it has and you have that big game to try and salvage it and overall it feels as though you didn't really turn up and you weren't fighting till the end you've got to wonder how far away are Cliftonville because I just do not know. It's the wide varieties of what we could be looking at in September. It's vast. Is there concern amongst the Reds faithful at the minute, Joe? Yeah, I, w- I would say so. I mean, when I first came on this podcast a few months ago, you asked me if there was a way that I could see this season being sort of unsuccessful and disappointing. And at the time, I actually said no. That was earlier in the season, but it didn't really feel like this could happen. That This really came as a shock. I mean, whether those Dungannon games, both of them were kind of felt like pivotal moments in terms of a downturn in our season. And then Paddy leaving when he did. I mean, I, I can't really blame him for leaving and doing what he did. It felt like a, a bad time for him to go in terms of for us. There was obviously talk of whether we were going to get a new manager bounce, but I feel like the way it came along, we didn't, we didn't really get the opportunity for that. So it feels like now... A full resets needed. You know, it's not what I expected we'd need coming into this season. I thought we were going to maybe add a few players and progress from there, but now it seems like we need to actually get rid of a few as well as just a complete overhaul. 12, 15 months on from an electrifying season where you're a point away from lifting the Gibson Cup, a juggernaut of a season, you bring back so much of that squad. Injuries were an issue to some of the key players. Some of the key players from that season not repeating that was also a key factor in you not repeating that success. Looking at the season of 21-22, does the record book somewhat read that was an overperformance that season? Or are we looking at this year as a season where you ran out of steam? Kind of, kind of What is it? Are you, are you close to the champions or perhaps... Maybe we just played out of our absolute skins that year and we fell back down to earth with a bit of extra bump on top of that. Do you know what? I actually think it was a wee bit of both. I think the to get to the last day and miss out by a point last season was actually very good when you look at the squad that we had. I mean, also the football we were playing, like it's not like you could say it was luck. We, we deserved it, but there was that. And then I think our transfer window at the start of this season was... There was more quality players out than there were that came in. Unfortunately, I think if you if you sit back and look at it, and as you say, we held on to some players, and there were a few injuries that you kind of looked and went. I the way the season started, I thought we're going to do it again. 
will overperform in a sense, or I don't even know if it's overperforming as much as it was Paddy bringing the absolute best out of some players. But I think it's overall, I think uh, last season overperformed to their degree, and then this season is quite disappointing. Let's chat manager. Any of the names discounting what people are mooting as the likely candidates, is there names out there which excite you? Or is it as clear as mud right now? Well, the only the only name I am seeing is Jim Magilton. But st- staying away from that, I would quite like to see someone like Dean Shields, I think. I think he actually he plays quite good football down there at Dungannon with, not to be disrespectful towards him, but obviously they're a lower standard than what he would have at Cliftonville. Seeing him with better quality players, whatever money we get for Sean Burr, I'd like to see, uh, like to see what he could do up at Cliftonville. He was being linked quite significantly at the start and perhaps do you feel as though because Dungannon's situation hasn't been sorted that's why that trail has gone cold yeah potentially I think that's probably what it is it's like it felt like there was a few names at the start I even saw Kenny Shields mentioned at the start and then all of a sudden it was just Jim Jilton and I, I do wonder if it is something like that you know until Dungannon's future is sorted or we're not going to see anything from Dean Shields. He's, not gonna, he's probably not going to be open to talks or anything at the moment while all that's going on. I think that's maybe an issue because um, if Dean Shields was the man they wanted initially and they're just waiting for Dungannon's fate to be decided either way, you can't then start rebuilding this squad until you know who your manager is. So maybe that is why the focus has moved elsewhere on their manager who can come in maybe only for a year just agree that and then start rebuilding this squad. Manager like Dean Shields, you know he's had a playing career which took him to a very high level and then he came back down. He's a manager who clearly has a system, clearly has ideas around football. It's fair to say you're not taking a manager who is pulling up trees at the club he's at. Is it the philosophy that you think is attractive to the club. For example, we all saw that Stuart King, for example, got higher this season, been able to build the squad, but there's no real talk of him being in the frame for this job. Is it that Dean Shields has a quote-unquote philosophy and that's what's potentially attractive, that he's not able to pull this off with the players that he has at Dungannon, but... At Cliftonville, he could. I think that that's exactly what it is for me. I mean, I think looking at the the type of football that he tries to play down there, it, it often does feel like it comes down to the players that he has as to why it doesn't come off sometimes. But he, he takes risks. He plays nice football. It's something I'd like to see with better quality players. The other sort of issue as such is I'm struggling to see who else is really out there. I mean, I don't know if I'm just gravitating towards this because that is the only real attractive sort of manager that I'm seeing. Jim Magilton, with maybe some package that also sees Jared Little return to the club in some role, some form. Is that attractive as a concept? Jim is a person who managed in the championship, has been about the place in recent times, doesn't have uh, the same type of managerial pedigree with him, but he has been someone who has... When it comes to the CV, it's impressive on paper, but he hasn't been. Yeah, um, he hasn't been a manager at this level. I think you only really need to go on the Twitter and have a look to see the sort of Reds' opinion 
on him coming into the club, it's not it's not the best. I mean, as you say, he hasn't been up around at this level. Even when you go back, he was what he went down to Dundalk to be the sporting director or whatever. He left that a year in the a four year contract. He was manager there for a wee while and it wasn't the best record at the time. It kind of feels like there's just a lot of negativity if you look into the the sort of record that he has recently. Um the other thing you see it never looks good when you know Cliftonville fans are saying no, we we absolutely don't want this, and then you have Limfield fans and stuff saying absolutely ten year contract. It, it, you feel like a bit of a laughing stock almost, you know. Is the fact that a lot of fans aren't gravitating towards Magilton a sign that perhaps what we've seen in the league, knowing the league is like eight tenths of what you need, has it been proven and at a really small level, maybe ported on as an example of this, that actually. To be successful in the Irish League, you need to know it really well and you need to somewhat know a lot of what goes on below the top flight. That's what requires success and that we haven't seen. If Jim was to come in and he was to be a success, he would somewhat need to be a brand new trendsetter. Is that what it is? Is him coming in not being proven and that's what scares some Red fans about this idea of somebody coming in and look, he may know loads about the league. He's been in the media as a pundit on games. So his knowledge, and you know, he's been about Northern Ireland for a while, his knowledge of the league is untested. And I think, is that why people are sceptical when they would rather have, for example, Paddy McLaughlin, who is the Institute, able to take the step up? I know it's 10 years ago, Gary Hamilton, a player, take the step up. King, take the step up from Banbridge Town. And then Porter Down, where you have an outsider, quote-unquote, Paul Doolan, not get the transfer business right. And then you have someone who is Irish League through and through and Al Curry coming up from Dundella. Are those cases what people are pointing to and going, we can't vary from this? We can't. I think um, that might be why there's talk of Jared Little coming in with him. You know, he's he's been in the league before. Obviously, he's been at Cliff Mill before. And he's been in and around the Northern Ireland setup ever since. So, you know, it could be Mitchelton would be obviously the manager, but then um Jared Little is doing sort of the heavy lifting in terms of recommending players, working with the squad a little bit more, that could come into it. But I, I definitely think you, you do have to have a little bit of knowledge of the league. I know, I know it's a cliche, but it's it's a different league than anywhere else. And you have to know the pyramid. Like it you, you saw Porta Down did a lot of their shopping from players that Mal Curry had played with before or coached before. And it nearly worked for them. So yeah, you definitely need to have a bit of wherewithal about what's going on. Let's take a quick look at the Red squad as well. Currently, I've heard from some people that, look, goalkeeper is a must. But beyond that, you look at the side which started the game. Yes, it uh, was missing Roy Hill due to suspension. But we have Guardside, Ives, Addis, Gallagher, Chris Kern, Ryan Kern, Lowe, Ronan Doherty, Gormley, Turner, and then Ronan Hill. It's been clear, the stats say, that defence has been an issue as well. With a new manager will come a new shape. Nailing down what this ideal shape for Cliftonville is a big thing. There's upheaval in the dugout. But this squad looks as though it needs significant look. And what areas do you sit there and go, this is where I think we need to start bringing fresh blood in yeah i mean well you said it obviously goalkeeper is an absolute must that's been said many times i think 
as you say, it's almost tough to know without what manager's coming in, what sort of system we're playing, exactly what type of players we need. The back four is, again, it needs settled for a start, but then it also needs a bit of depth. That's where we've been hit tough this year. You've had players like Turner been playing in about three different positions across the back four, and it's not easy. You know, if you're not playing in the same position every week, especially as a defender, it's tough to sort of move around and, and be great in those positions. I think another thing, and I don't know if my Reds fans will agree with me or uh, get annoyed with me here, but I think maybe Joe the goal should be playing a bit less. You know, we're relying on him for every game. And look, he started the season absolutely brilliantly there, but towards the end of the season, he was maybe not firing the what he would probably hope he was. Don't get me wrong, still an absolutely brilliant player. But could Paul O'Neill make a return back down to us again? He's going to be behind Andy Ryan and Lee Bonus probably this season. Is that something that he wants? If you have him as your main striker and you have Joe coming off the bench or playing off him, you know, that's the, that's the side of, side of Clarkville that I'd like to see sort of improve three tiny bit. Just our, our scoring goals going off how the, the end of the season went. Because Ryan Curran lost his place, but he also pops up, gets a plenty of goals. You obviously have Roy Hill, an absolutely spectacular collection of goals he got, but you even go to the bench. Parkhouse is gone. I don't see him returning to the club. So you're going to have to change it up in the striking position anyway. You're going to need depth there. And then McDonough, you know, he he is probably exhibit A when it comes to performance change from nearly winning the title and then not delivering in the same way the next season. Obviously, form fluctuates massively. Looking at next season, regardless if it's Pep, who is the manager at the Reds, you're going to full-time by all accounts, so you're starting the transition to full-time. Other clubs are doing their business. What are we looking at next season? Is it just not making it awkward on being in the top six? Or is Fight for Europe an absolute must? Because it's hard not to believe that there could be further regression next season and perhaps it is a case of a step back to go two or three forward yeah um obviously like uh, there's a big reset that's needed new manager coming in there's going to be new ideas i feel like it's unrealistic to say first or second <laughs> i don't i don't think there's going to be many reds fans out there that are going to be sitting there going oh no yeah next season has to be like the 21 22 season you hope there's not too much regression it's going to have to be top six i would say and then just give a good go of the European playoffs. It's the great thing about the European playoffs, you know, even if we're down in seventh at the absolute worst, there's still potential for us there. You know, we could play two games and it ends up being successful. If you're looking at a new manager in a lot of new players, if we're managing to get to the European playoffs and win it, I would say that's probably Armenian. If you were to do what Lauren has successfully been able to do this past season, and bring in at least one star player in one position who's like 24 or something, what part of the team would you just love to sign that player and go, right, you're our star player in this position, don't need to worry about it anymore, you're going to be there for the next seven years. What star player are you looking to fill a gap in that team? That's that's the tough thing about the squad at the moment. I don't even know. I mean, at first I'm thinking goalkeeper comes to my head naturally I'm also thinking our defence then I'm thinking that creative midfielder 
an odd, an odd night striker. It, it feels like there's a whole spine that's almost needed of those players. But does, but, does that not tell you how far the Reds, when you really yeah. get down to it, because if you were to do that same example for Lauren, you go, right, okay, well, don't worry about goalkeeper, maybe. Defence is pretty strong, actually, with Keen Bulger. You know, maybe left back, but right back's amazing. Centre midfield, oh, Sule. You know, you're kind of going, it's not there. But, like, for Cliftonville, I'm thinking, well, do you want that, like, killer... Don't the, you know, do you want 22-year-old Colin Coates? Do you want the... Like, I feel like centre midfield is an underrated area where if you did have a star like a Miller or a, or a Sule, it could completely change that team. But perhaps it's not, it's not the one area that you're going to be able to fix. And of course, you're probably going to lose Sean Murray as well this summer. So what have we got underneath that could filter through a fascinating season next year for the Reds? which uh, may bring a bit more pain before there is sugar and delight. They're not the only team that's looking for a brand new manager. It broke pretty much before I put out the podcast last week, so I had to edit out all the stuff that was talking about it. It was expected. It was on the cards. Balomina are de-jealous. They mutually were bitterly disappointed. He's gone. That's a team... Talk about upheaval. Uh, that looks like a massive upheaval. Talk suggestions of who it could be. Talk of Jim Irvin coming in. First time manager. Maybe Stuart King coming in there. But this is a manager who's got a pretty good thing going on at Carrick. And was able to finish higher than Balamina. It's such a weird position where you could you can see how anybody would love the idea of going to be Red's manager. One of the biggest jobs in Northern Irish football. Balamina, a squad that 100% needs upheaval because they've been on such a bad run and there's players escaping. They're going, they're gone. So they're going to have to bring in people somewhere. It's not clear where the finance is going to be to build this squad. And you could be coming in, trying to fix these cracks and you haven't got the supplies to do it. It's It's fascinating on who's gonna jump in there for david jeffrey i think you listen to the fans it was coming and they just felt as though he had taken them to as far as he could and whimpering out in the way they did in the cup final didn't really help his case a manager who has incredible amount of pedigree but fans thought it was time to move on and clearly both did the board and mr jeffrey himself yeah, I think any year before maybe this one, that Balmina job is so lucrative. You know, that's a big club. That's a an Irish League Premiership club. But this year, I, I think any manager is going to run a mile, especially ones that are already in the league, because that is just the definition of a poison chalice. Where, where do you start with that squad? They're on such a low after the cup final and the end of the season, the way it went. Sure, King would be very unwise to leave that Carrick Rangers project. I think the go and start this rebuild and like we talked about Cliftonville having a rebuild but that's that's a luxury rebuild this this Palomino team is a knock everything down and let's rebuild again yeah like Cliftonville is oh should we get new blinds and change that to triple glazing <laughs> Palomino's like uh should we have four walls <laughs> you know yeah, that like Word, like I honestly don't know where you start with that. They couldn't seem to find a settled goalkeeper last year. Your captain's leaving. You know, as much as the fans sort of turned on DJ at the end of the season, 
talk about an Irish League legend to have around the club. His contacts for bringing people in. I'm sure. Hey, look, I don't know, but I'm sure he's a great coach. The fact that every like everything's changing, the captain, the manager, the board, all at the same time. I just, I think it's a bit scary for Balmina fans. And as you say, where's the funding coming from? They had that uh, statement put out a few months back, and that sort of lay low. But now, once we get into the transfer market, that's going to come right to the fore again. The lack of funding, and it might have to be a sort of Nal Curry ported on vibe bargain basket shopping. But here's the thing. Nal Curry came into a poor downside and he couldn't bring it all together. He came close, but he couldn't. There's actually not a clear answer on who would come up. You know, we are looking at ex-players like, you know, Jim Irvin. But as we've seen since the season stopped, what Portadown didn't do last season was invest. What they did do come January was invest and they're continuing to do that for Balamina. Where are they going? Like, like teams in the top six can't find strikers. <laughs> Balamina, one of their big problems was goals, so they are going to have to find some rough, rough gems. And a rookie coach trying to find that when at the bottom right now, and I don't think it's over the top to say step one for Balamina next season is going to be survival. And that seems so mad when you think this time last year I was the one saying they could finish in the top six. Because what you have down there is Potentia Dungannon, who have got strong youth and a bit of stability, maybe a new manager, as we talked about. Nuri, who is project stability. Lockall, who's had a season of winning. Carrick could fall away, but, you know, name a team. Portadown was a team of chaos. You had to bring teams in. A lot of players in, and we saw what happened. Tell me we're not seeing this potentially repeat. I think all of the teams you said there, I agree, are possibly better than Balamina. Luck all, no pushovers. If Warren Point end up coming up after that whole debacle, that's a good, good side there. I fear for Balamina, and I, like I just don't know where the players are coming from because Balamina aren't competing with your Lawrence, your Linfields, your Glen Torns, the signed players, and now there's this another mini-league forming where they're not competing with the same pool that Cliftonville, Glenavon, Coleraine are competing for. So they are now fighting against the teams that are around them. And as you said, teams that are having a far more positive outlook on the next season. Because you're looking at Balmain and you're thinking, this is a, a, they're at the top of a real downslope here if this goes wrong. You know, they've already lost uh, Redmond to pour it down. There's talk of Doogie Wilson uh, going as well. Their whole spine's being obliterated. And not only is the manager taking on a rebuild, you then think any leaders that come on board there are also going to be partially responsible for that. Yeah, you said you said earlier about the pool that uh, managers can have for a team. You know, it's, it's going to be a struggle for whatever uh, manager comes into Balamina because you've got that Kyle Curry pool that has seemed to have just developed out of nowhere, you know. Not only are Porta Down taking Balamina players, they're probably taking players that Balamina would be looking to. Like I said, I tweeted this out once the Ross Redmond signing uh, was announced, and then Keelan Cole from Dungana was announced as well. And it's probably based around the fact that who in the past, like since I've been on the pod, well, I think Paul McAway was signed already, but Alan O'Sullivan's there. They've also announced Lee Chapman, Chris Rogers. I think Paddy McNally is also signed for Porter Down. 
like these are not top six players bar actually Paul McElroy who I um, um, after reporting on a lot of Portadown, I was very impressed with him as a striker. I know it's easy to say he'll bang loads of goals in the championship, but when you go down to the championship, the key thing is scoring goals, and I think he should and could do that. And it's that big question of, of who do you bank on? But I don't think it's over the top to say, and we haven't seen all the squad lists right now, but come the start of next season, at least on paper, and games are won on paper, but Portadown are looking to build a squad that is definitely in the top 12 squads for next season. Yeah. Port- that, that, that's irrelevant because they'll not be competing in the top flight, but the, the I don't know if it says more about the teams above them or, or what they're trying to do, but with McElroy and the players I listed, that could be a very, a very decent premier top flight side. Like they doesn't, they will not be one of the. They'll not be below one of the top twelve teams. I think they'll they'll be potentially really good. Yeah, I'm sure Portadown fans are sick of the back teeth, the relegations this century, and uh, they obviously don't want that to happen again. So I think if if they do come up again, I don't think they'll be sucked in their relegation battle again. Obviously, that's all if buts and maybes. They have to get out of that division first, but a different board would take the championship a lot less seriously than. Porta Downs board have and uh, they're definitely trying to get out of the first attempt because you know I say one point again if they stay in there they'd be looking to go up Anna and Dundella were building something the welders were coming in a wee bit of form Banger coming up but you know wouldn't write them off being a top half team next year in the championship so it's with all the investment it seems like it is a bit do or die for Porta Down, but I think they will get up and then I think they'll be a more comfortable Irish League side certainly more so than this season it's stability they want and it looks as though they're trying to keep stability from this purple patch that they had at the end of this season and that'll be it'll be fascinating how they do in the championship because it kind of screams losing 1-0 at home to Dergview first <laughs> first game of the season just because it would be funny uh but we'll see how it goes with that as well that then drags the amount of pool of players down so we, we talk about who Balamina are looking to sign well Anna had a good season the season before last. Really did. They fell off the horse significantly, but they signed who you'd probably look at players who could be, you know, players who could play in the Premiership, like, you know, winger Craig Taylor and, and a few other people like that. Like, they're, they're signed to deals with them, you know. Who Balamina are going to... Like, Balamina are not going to pay a transfer fee for a player who's under contract in the Championship as much as Ferguson does look great for the welders and there, and there and there is other players like that you know mcclellan they're not gonna pay a transfer fee so where are they gonna find they're gonna try and find these robbie mcvarnock's but you know where are they when ported out or panic buying and hoover not everybody that's had 30 games in the top flight and then you have other teams around them who are making big statement signings as well None bigger so far from a bottom six side than Newry City signing Adam Sally to a two-year deal. Goals were an issue for this team. And in the same day, and we'll get on to him, where they lose their top goal scorer from last season, they take on the top goal scorer in the championship from last year and Adam Sally. They secure him for a two-year deal. You know, he was not he's not coming in for pennies. He's coming in for a gamble when it comes to wage i don't know his money but i'm sure he is an outlet because other teams will have wanted him but nuri go get their man and 
in the same week where a lot of the team that kept them up this year, McGivern, Lockhart, and other players like that, say, I'm with Nuri. They bring in a big statement player like Sally. He's got a lot to prove himself, but this feels like an educated gamble. Yeah, I think uh, Sally obviously scored bagfuls for an awards team that were not set in that championship league alike. So why why not do it for Nuri as well, who obviously won't be contending at the top of the league, but goals are just crucial down there. And to have a talisman like that, Nuri fans are bound to be rubbing their hands. It's a it's a really exciting signing. Yeah, it shows the main business in the sense of, as you say there, they're losing their top scorer. And sometimes teams at the bottom of the league, when they lose a player uh, like Thielen, they kind of have to concede to the fact, right, we've lost goals, we're going to have to just tighten up at the back and be smarter in how we play. But to go out, to go out and sign someone like Sally, it, it shows that, you know, no, actually, yeah, we've, we've lost Thielen, but there's, you know, there's a good player coming in. We're going to do the same again next season. Boom. What a signing this is for Crusaders. James Thielen, 20 years old, top goal scorer for Newry City. His goals kept them up. He was key at that final run, that, that final stretch of games that secured their safety. He is not yet the absolute final finished product. But this is something that perked up everybody's eyebrows, I felt today. Yeah, I mean, it's about time. Crusaders got a little bit of use in that team. As good as they are, it's an aging squad. Is this a, a bit of an error apparent to Paul Heatley? He's not getting any younger. If he's there for a couple more years, he's not having to play every game all of a sudden. And you can turn to Thielen. They may be going for that sort of big man, little man uh, thing up top. If you want Lecky or Joe Owens up there with him and he can buzz around them. I, I think it's a great signing. I think uh, Crusaders maybe under the radar needed a signing like this to sort of push on and get back in amongst the automatic European places. Well, for all the reasons you listed there as well, not only is it a, a, a great signing for Crusaders, I think Crusaders are probably the best club for him right now in the sense of great mentors there. There isn't the pressure to go in and perform straight away. He's got time at the young age that he is. And it, it's, it's going to be great to see how he develops over the next couple of years. You really nailed that because you're right. If he went to somebody, anybody in that top six, you're thinking, okay, how many play wide players? Crusaders play wide men up top. And they're not going to be too spooked by the fact that he hasn't got a huge amount of size because they are able to work around that already. You see him go to Glentoran and his rotational piece. But being a rotational piece in this Crusaders side is is totally fine. So, yeah, you absolutely nailed that. Um, let's shift gears and talk about team building again because we're still yet to see what's going to happen with Matthew Fitzpatrick at Glenavon. But this week, Glenavon go, Jack Malone, like a bit of you, three-year deal. There's also one-year deals for the experienced defender, Sean Ward, and another one-year commitment from Robbie Garrett. And the reason I want to highlight this with Glenavon because we see big commitments from other teams and and how teams are having a big outlet, changing it up quite a lot. Glenavon clearly know what they want to do. They want to identify players that they like, that they believe are young and could be keystones moving forward. Jack Malone on a three-year deal, that's, that's a big commitment from them. 
And it comes off the back of goalkeeper Roy Brown, middle of the season, five-year deal. Danny Walsh was extended last year. I think there was a five-year deal for Peter Campbell a few years ago. Isaac Bird coming in as a player. He never kicked the ball for Portadown as an Irish League player. Comes in, plays a few games. Here's a four-year deal, sir. So, guess what? Danny Walsh, Peter Campbell, Jack Malone, Roy Brown. They better be good because you're kind of stuck with them. Yeah, and I think that's part of the reason why you haven't really seen Gary Hamilton linked with, say, the Cliftonville job. Because it seems like he's he's building yet another team there at Glenavon. And locking all these players down, you know, it's a positive for um, the Lurgan men. But it makes you wonder, Fitzpatrick yet to be locked down, is that because they're maybe shopping him around? Maybe Fitzpatrick isn't wanting to sign a deal? So that would be the only negative spin I could put on that for Glenavon fans. But yeah, they're starting to build a real core again. And, you know, if they can replicate their form against the top six against teams that they maybe should be beating, then next year could be a little bit better for Glenavon. You're right about Gary Hamilton. He is building a squad in his, his vision. From what I can see online and chatting to some fans, they are resolute about Fitzpatrick because his success is one of the reasons why you lock down players like him for these three, four years. Because if you believe they're going to become good, then you can bargain them up. You know, I, I doubt James Thielen was dying to sign a five-year deal with Nuri, but, you know, James Thielen's went on a free. Matthew Fitzpatrick isn't. When in other years, he probably would be because he comes to the end of a two-year deal or something like that. If you are a Glenavon fan, do you somewhat have to come to terms with the fact that Matthew Fitzpatrick is probably moving on? But even if you had the ability as a fan to say, I can tell Glenavon that they have to keep him, is there not a theory in team building that you just have to take the money and prove you can do it again? Yeah, I, I think so. Especially, as you say, the fact that they are going to get, you know, a reasonable amount of money for him, uh, given where he is at the moment. I mean, yes, there's probably like a fairy tale side that wants to hold on to him and think, no, let's build a team around him. Let's progress and focus everything on him. But I think, as you say there, especially when it's a team like, you know, rumoured to be Linfield, it's in for him. It's not like they're short money, you know, you could get a decent bit for him and, you know, build in areas of that team where you maybe, you maybe feel like you need two more, you know. Because 100,000 potentially, if that's what it is, or it's even a wee bit less than that, that is such a significant amount of money. Like, I feel as though we are being blinded by the fact that we've seen two deals that size already. And the fact that European money is 200 grand. But he is 28. And yes, he could. We all know Glenn Ferguson, blah, blah, blah. Went on, incredible player. Worth so much money. But you take the money. You, and if you are able to invest, surely you must be able to invest it somehow. Where you can grow and take over the likes of the likes of Corian and beyond. E- even teams like Cliftonville and Linfield have to say goodbye to their Sean Murrs and their Kofi Balmers and their Shane Laveries and the money they get they have to invest team building yes you want to lock down your your players forever but at this level and pretty much every level bar teams at the top of the Champions League you have to have the ability to twist and move and find talent and take it in you know Ajax have to do it Basel have to do it and they can keep doing it again and again and be successful and grow and that's a way where you can become a perennial top six team 
However, I know right on a whiteboard, Glenavon fans are going, let's reflect on the last 100 grand deals. Portadown, 100 grand for Lee Bonus. How did that go? 100 grand for Shane McCartan, Dabalamina. How did that go? So, as much as I'm saying, the theory says, take it and run, reality isn't too kind. No, it's not. But I would personally be of the opinion, as I say, he's 28 and... I don't follow much Glen Avon, but it seems he's only really burst onto the scene the last year or two. So are you maybe cashing in on a player that's getting older, maybe passing his peak, who's only maybe had two standout seasons? So do you maybe just cash out and get three or four players in? But that's that's up to them. And it, because you know what, actually, if he does regress, which all players eventually do, and it could be years and years and years from now, but at that point, you can find somebody else. Um, obviously, a lot of talk online about Ben Kennedy and Crusaders. Uh, I think it really is circled around. I don't even know why I'm giving this air, but it circles around the idea that he uh, was not at the dinner uh, to the point where some rumor mills, and I have to be really clear with people, unless it's coming from the club or Niffle, that is what it is. It's rumors. Even if it says confirmed, you have to get it from a source. Crusaders have come out and made a statement saying that they would like to dismiss rumours circling around on social media that he is set to go. Ben is an exceptional talent who remains under contract with Crusaders for a further two years and that position will not change. He's a valued member of the Crusaders family and Ben will be going nowhere. So, Ben Kennedy is staying with Crusaders. We talked about how James Thielen come in. He is not a replacement for Ben Kennedy. Insert football cliche here. Next season, he'll feel like a new signing for Crusaders. Definitely. I mean, what a coup that was to bring him over when he left Stevenage. It's a move that I never saw coming at the time. And, you know, you can you can just see the talent in him. It's so obvious. And obviously, Crusaders would want to keep a hold of a player like that. See, even if something has happened, I highly doubt they would release a player of that calibre who I could say they would demand a pretty big fee for. So, I think, yeah, it, it is all just rumours. It's it, it doesn't even qualify as paper talk. I think it's just people having a laugh on Twitter trying to get into Crusaders fans' heads. But yeah, I would say there's nothing to it at all. Two things that, as I've got no games to preview, I thought I would get into. We didn't talk about it last week as it wasn't announced. Next season, expect your ticket to be more expensive. According to Niffle, they have said that with agreement with clubs, they are raising the maximum price of adult tickets to £13. That's up from 12 this year. And concessions tickets are moving up to £9. I know fans aren't sitting there going, you know what I would love? If our league teams charge me more. So no one, turkeys are not voting for Christmas here. I get that. But... 13 quid, is it harsh? Is it the right time when Niffle are saying record-breaking season? Huzzah, isn't it great how many fans we've brought in? Was this time maybe just to keep riding that wave and keep it at what many people would describe as a, a, a nice little point at 12 quid? Or cost of living, the increase in popularity, the increase in the quality, some would say, and what you're seeing on the pitch... One point extra is still decent value. 
Yeah, I think uh, you can kind of see it from both sides. Like us as fans, as you say, we're not going to want the price there is. On the other side, like everything's a business. So like you can you understand why, I guess. The adult tickets, I don't have too much of an issue with. It's the concession tickets for me. I would argue even maybe £8 last year. When you look at some of the ages of people going to matches, £8 was already too much. To put that up to 9 just seems crazy. If you're trying to grow a league and you're trying to get more people through the gates, why not have a better system in place, especially for the you know like under 10s? £9 a ticket just seems absolutely crazy. Um. There were a few clubs we went to, you know, as students like Dungannon and Warren Point, who, as you said, it's a maximum charge and they didn't charge as much as that. It'll be interesting to see how many clubs across the league won't charge £9 for concession tickets. To be honest, I think they probably will, but it'd be good to see if some of the clubs take a, a better approach. I actually got in touch with Niffle. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't get a response, but it was connected to something which they said i'm not like that's plead ignorance here i'm not someone that uses concession tickets i'm not a parent so and i don't really have any younger members of my family who would use concession um so probably not even getting what concession really means to people so it's it's not an area that i'm really that knowledgeable about but I, i know it is an issue um, in that statement about tickets, they said, and this is a quote, clubs have also agreed to work together to prevent the ongoing abuse of concession tickets. I put it out there a few days ago saying, is there an issue out here, fans? And I got a variety of responses, both publicly and via DMs and emails. And what I'm getting, at least a flavour, is that there is particularly an issue that some people are having with children that for a, some away games that they try to get concession tickets for their children and they find that they're sold out almost instantly and that's frustrating and that puts them off and that makes it difficult for them and then I'm also having claims being put about that abuse potentially refers to some people going happy days I don't qualify as concession but I'm going to buy one anyway sure who's checking Firstly, on the young children point, I think as all fa- it's easy to say as all fans because I'm not the one sitting there having to do the totals at the end of every weekend, every month, every year. But I think we would all like to encourage the next generation of fans and not make it difficult. You know, if I had a child or two children that I'm paying in the games, forty pounds, thirty nine pounds to go to an away game feels that feels difficult. It feels like you're putting a barrier in my way. And I I think that's fair. I know it would have been 36 under the previous. But full price for me and two kids, that feels harsh. Yeah, it definitely is. And then especially if you're bringing young kids, they're probably want some needed the ground and, you know, feeding all them as well. So uh, obviously there's some clubs do like kids for a quid initiative, stuff like that. And you'd love to see that sort of more put in the in the writing by Niffle, you know, they have the opportunity to do that. I think it's crazy that, you know, you might have to pay £9 for a four-year-old who hey, maybe isn't going to watch the match really, but it's all about just getting them there into the ground and getting them around the experience because if they don't, then they're not going to come in 20 years of their own volition and then 
you can charge however much you want because there'll be nobody in the ground if there's no next generation. And the other side of that is if, and I really don't know, I'm complete, completely ignorant about this, if there is an issue, if, the, if this ongoing abuse, which Niffler are saying externally, well, if the issue is that people who don't qualify as concession are using concession and clubs are losing out a significant amount of money, which would be four pounds in the situation currently for next season, you know, that's difficult as well. A hundred fans do that when they shouldn't. You know, there's, there's 400 quid. That's that's quite big when you potentially welcome the big teams around the corner. I've also had it suggested to me, and I'll not name that some clubs are getting in this tit-for-tat thing where if you don't offer us a certain amount of concession tickets, we're not going to offer your fans a certain amount of concession tickets. I asked Niffle, what are you talking to clubs about? Are you enforcing anything? Again, no response. But I, I think this is an issue. I don't. I, I think it's an issue that which needs addressed. And I think we should have an open conversation. So anybody that's listening to this podcast, if it's good, if it's brilliant, you've got amazing examples. I've not had the time to email every single club asking what is your concession policy home or away. But I would love to hear your examples, good, bad, or indifferent, so we can perhaps get this conversation going where we can have something where be at a certain percentage or we have more open or we're encouraging clubs to deal with this issue that they're willing to commit to someone to check tickets to remove this what they call ongoing abuse not me that's what they have called it it's clear to me it's a problem for some people and that's frustrating to hear yeah definitely i mean i, I can speak for windsor if i believe because it's the electronic turnstiles if you scan a concession ticket you then go down to a guy from eventsec who then scans your ticket personally but i don't think they're paid enough to care enough to check to be fair to them why would they and they probably know like if they stop someone there might be a bit of bother like they might get annoyed or whatever and you know so you can't blame them and then i don't know how the concessions work if it's like a percentage of the tickets sold or have to be concessions but like you see like the big two matches there's no way like Glen Torn are going to sell out of concession tickets in a stadium that big and there's no way Linfield are going to sell out of concession tickets in a stadium that big so I, I'm not sure how it works if they're only putting on however many tickets each but it's something that definitely needs a bit of reform in the league because we are putting parents off bringing kids to matches like that and you know the big two like that's a match you should be dying to bring your kid to if you're going to get someone in the RC it's, it's a big derby match like that and to deny that it's just a real shame it's where traumatic football memories are made <laughs> i've had more than enough this season I, I, i'm saying put the tickets up more <laughs> okay I, I i want to say this because i felt as though this was probably coming this isn't really a beneficial statement but i think it's probably what people are thinking is this a slow climb towards the 15 pound ticket i think so uh, 15 pounds two round of a number not the aim for if you're on a, a board like that not too long ago they're only a tenner that's I think that's just the way we're going. 50% increase in however many years. I think it's only a matter of time, to be honest. Yeah, I think it's I think it's pretty obvious that that's the way they're going. I mean, if you, you, I almost wonder if there wasn't such an increase in the cost of living and stuff this year and there wouldn't have been such a backlash, would they have just jumped it up to 15 anyway rather than this one-pound price range uh, increase? It's interesting about the whole maximum thing because will we see it that, you know, if we're seeing the what's being suggested where it's concession is different per club in regards to who's turning up the town that week. Is it the same thing going to be for price tickets where it's a certain 
level for some people. And then, oh, big teams coming to town. Going to fill out our stand. Stick it up. But, oh, we'd rather have a few more heads in. We'll, we'll go for it for there. Probably a bit more work for me needs to get done to try and figure it all out. Maybe clubs need this extra money because they're paying so much in fines due to incendiary devices. Portadown said last week they made a statement that they were fined £750 by the IFA for incendiary devices, what Portadown have said, uh, relating to smoke bombs in particular for their big mega game down at Stagmore Park. They then took it a step further and asked fans who were responsible to step forward and to volunteer to pay the fines themselves. Totally understand the sentiment, but social media was not kind to Portadown on this issue. No, and I think rightly so, because, you know, in the, in the case specifically of Porta Down, those fans never wavered in their support. You know, at average attendance, well over a thousand, and that was a diabolical Porta Down team at the start of this season. So, you know, they've backed them, they've put money in the coffers all year, and then to turn around and ask the fans who created such an atmosphere that day and who got right behind the team to then cough up and pay themselves I, I think that's a bit out of line from the board I get that they're trying to deter fans from doing it again but I, I just think it was in real poor taste to do that especially seeing as they've got relegated yeah it came as a bit of a surprise especially as the fact that like as Ross was saying they're, I, I know there's a bit of controversy around them as to whether or not they should be allowed in games or not personally I love them you know I was there in the the Port of Down end for the Dungannon game and it creates a great atmosphere, gets everyone going, gets the team up for it, it seems. Although I'm not too sure about Port of Down that day, but um it, you know, if you look down at the League of Ireland, it's absolutely brilliant. The atmosphere they create, you know, if you look at Rovers, it's superb. So it's a shame that and I, I get the Port of Down are being fined and they're sort of, you know, this is the last thing we need right now. But it sort of caused a bit of a rift between the clubs and the fans, the whether or not they should be getting fined, and then I think what they put on social media was quite poor from them, to be honest. It's not the only thing which clubs are being fined for, and we have called on clubs to take it seriously, and we've called on clubs when I'm talking to fines in regards to fan behaviour, in regards to throwing things on the pitch, in regards to sectarian chanting. Let's not get into the hierarchy of these things, um, but the Portadown are trying to make it really clear this is something they've been fined for numerous times over the past few years and to put that idea out there that look you wouldn't want to pay it so why should we pay it to kind of highlight the cost of thinking about it in your pocket but yes online the sentiment was don't ask your fans to do that now they've said they're going to try and find through video cameras to try and decipher who these people are and deal with them appropriately you bring up the league of ireland and this is something which they are dealing with and that they are also suggesting that they would not like this at their grounds we saw a couple of weeks ago that the fire service uh in dublin were made a big statement saying these are dangerous in relation to flurs and of calling fans not to do it and look, I, I did contact the IFA about this because I did want to see like how much have like clubs lost out? Like how much have there been fines to 
towards clubs for these incendiary devices like how much are clubs losing out yes portline set 750 pounds on this occasion but you know is it is it a couple of grand they've lost this year you know and you're thinking oh my goodness that's x amount of players that's you know i don't know a two percent of a league bonus but i didn't get any stats on that but they did want to reflect that when it comes to fireworks and incendiary devices in a ground that this is a criminal offense so it's you know it's taken out of their hands that's a that's a, a PSNI thing. That's a policing thing there. So it's definitely something to discuss in regards to how can fans create atmosphere? How can they do a display? Uh, how can they do that legally and safely? Uh, perhaps that actually is where clubs come in going, okay, guys, let's work together. Smoke bombs are out. But how about we work on getting a, a TIFO here or something there or something like that? You know, perhaps... Regardless if we love it, loathe it, flares and smoke bombs are out and we just need to move on. But again, that's up to the clubs, Niffle and the AFA to get that message across. So I think that's something we'll come back to again, if we're being honest in regards to that. Uh, a lot of people, they're big fans of it. Guys, uh, this looks like a fairly healthy podcast for no games to talk through, I'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> nothing really else that needs covered i'm sure there'll be plenty of stuff going on i just had to come back i feel as though i couldn't lose the streak again as i said last week i just do not know what this summer may be it may be a lovely weekly gathering of us fine fellows chatting about the goods and the bads <laughs> of the Irish League. am i coming back next week i don't know i probably won't be because i've got a stag next week and my goodness i've got too much stuff to plan for it so <laughs> For those that enjoyed all your thoughts and feelings, guys, from left to right, who are you? Where can they find you? Uh, Joe, Joe McCallion. And on Twitter, I tell you what, I think I'd give you the wrong Twitter handle every single time. <laughs> Genuinely. I, Spoken like a man who's been on this podcast twice yeah, already. And both times, I think it was a different Twitter handle. So it is uh, Joseph, J-O-S-E-F underscore McCallion. And it is the same on Insta. And then I am Ross Wells 8 on Instagram and Twitter and then we're around the grounds NI on TikTok and Instagram and um AT Grounds NI on Twitter. Guys, what was your most popular around the ground of the season? Ooh, um the Port of Down the Port of Down game that the won in inverted commas against Newry. Uh, that did really well. We've got we've got a good Port of Down following. Um and then uh, apart from that, you know, the, the big two always does well. And then anything in Europe does well. You know, Linfield, biggest team in the country by far, obviously. So they support us. It's actually, looking at it here quickly, it's actually both our newly ported down games. The one earlier in the season. Just that's well. it. Yeah. Here, guys, are, like, are we not dead? Like, are we not destined for those two teams to meet, like, in a cup next year? Like, Nuri, yeah. Adam Sally, Megan, a bit tasty. We'll have to see. What are you doing now that the Irish League's over? Because I haven't found a sport. The NFL is like at its boring part. I think I'm just obsessed with like transfer news now. Is that a, is that a sport? Can I follow that? <laughs> well, uh, we'll be heading down to the League of Ireland quite a bit actually. Yeah. I think seeing as that's the summer league, that's the, the great thing about it. There's football on all year round. Yeah. And we'll also be getting to some of the, the women's matches as well. Yep. But like wearing sun cream and watching football, <laughs> is that even legal? Right. I'm going to go check on the windsor framework to see if that stops anything in regards to that there'll be plenty of news fun twitter's the best place to find me for that 
I'll let you know if I have any more of this. If you want to listen back to last week's podcast, you can do that. Uh, it reviewed all all the predictions, all the stuff that went down in regards to this season. Until next time, and that next time is unclear. All those people had asked, yes, unless something wrong happens, I'll be back next season. Sure, the season's over, and we're still going down. Ross, Joe, thank you so much. Thanks for having us, Peter. Peter.